Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and dungeon masters. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you, we can bring with you on your next adventure. Sorry, I'm having to do this from memory. I haven't done that in, like, forever. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've had so many guests lately, too. I haven't had to say it. Right. I want to take a moment to say thank you for joining us today here at the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a and d game with only bad rulings. Yes, um, no, I have been at awful. those. I've been at those tables. They're not great. Yeah, they think I had to. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I lost my thing here. Yeah, well, um, all right, so I'm super excited for our show today. Um, me too. We got some really good stuff. Our main topic today is the top five questions to ask to make good rulings in your Dungeons and Dragons game. Now, let's be honest. There's we we all struggle with this, so I'm really excited to get into it. Um, but before that. Um, I'd like to say our Capes and Crooks uh, Kickstarter has ended. Unfortunately, we didn't reach funding, so we are in the process of figuring out whether that's something worth chasing still. Uh, we did have a lot of good support and a push for it, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, a couple days before our Kickstarter, another superhero Kickstarter launched. That, um, that, so that yeah. was a direct competitor, and that really made it hard. So yeah. um, we'll decide what to do in the meantime. If you're interested, you can still head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Capes and Crooks and pick up the playtest. Um, and let us know what you think um, mm-hmm. with that. And I do want to say that those who have looked at it, including other YouTubers, they were quite enthusiastic about it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's just the including way. Du- including Dungeon Jutes, has to be said. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know what? And that's okay. It's just uh, it was bad timing. So and that's just kind of what happens. It's how um, the dice fall, as they with say. With that, we like to start off every episode by giving away fat loots, don't we? Absolutely. Do you know enough about that? I know a little bit enough about challenges, so you've ran us through these enough. Yes. <laughs> I feel like All I should right, know so about I'll them. I'll take care of it. So, um, once again, <laughs> for one of our giveaways, we are giving away one of our products. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, wherever you may be, um, we have released a product called Challenge Accepted. Fourth edition's best kept secret, in my opinion, is... Skill challenges. Skill challenges, Skill hands challenges down. Because are pretty dope. Including those those details into your game can be kind of challenging. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, <laughs> so we brought together like 50 of these bad boys, compiled them into adventure called or a product called Challenge Accepted that allows the Dungeon Master easy um, encounter ideas and gives you all the uh, tools you need to run interesting um, encounters such as closing a magical portal with, de- with demons mm-hmm. coming in through them or um, something meeting like, a person of royalty was yes, another one trying to negotiate or in, um, uh, investigations murders all that stuff is kind of captured in this so chase scenes even yep, mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun so I highly recommend consider checking it out you can find that at CritAcademy.com who is our winner today our winner today is College Stuff 50X <laughs> But uh, don't worry if you didn't win, because uh, you can just head over to CritAcademy.com and you can subscribe your chance to win by signing up on our newsletter. It's super easy. I was going to say super free, but it is free. <laughs> so you should just totally do it. It's definitely It's free for that person anyway. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, with that, let us move into our main topic. Let's talk Dungeons & Dragons. Um, That's what we do every episode. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. We do <laughs> every so, do you ever second-guess yourself in a ruling in Dungeons & Dragons? All the freaking oh, time. Oh, literally every time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do you want help ensuring you do the best rolling possible? Pretty great, yeah. Naturally. Of course. Well, if so, then you need to check out the top five questions to ask yourself to make good rulings in D&D. As Dungeon Masters, we often find ourselves in this situation where we have to make rulings on the fly. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. either because it's something that isn't covered in the rules, well, let's be honest... Fifth edition isn't nearly as detailed as some of the previous editions. For better or worse. So I feel, <laughs> yes, yes. So it has its advantages and disadvantages. So sure. with this, I think that we've managed to, um, we have to kind of find ourselves in this bubble more frequently than previous editions. Or when you're new to the game in general. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we don't always know the rules and that's, you know, that's okay. Or we just don't have a way to look it up on the fly, or maybe we just don't want to interrupt the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and let's be honest, that can sometimes slow down the game, uh-huh. um, and that can really break the flow. And Especially we, when there's something really cool going on that your players have done, and you're yes. just like, man, I really want to keep pushing this forward, but how am I going to me- use this mechanically? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, there's something that comes to mind immediately that I probably mentioned every other show lately, but it's kind of relevant for this topic in particular. <laughs> okay, do you want to bring that up uh, sure, when sure. we get to a question that that's prevalent on, or do you just want to take it right now? Well... Let's take it right now, because I think the first question in particular kind of pertains to it. Okay, okay, so what is the first question, then? The first question is, does it make sense? <laughs> All right, let's Sometimes hear. that's a tough one. Yeah. Right, right. And the scenario I'm mentioning is, once again, I am running Princess of the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. and there are... And, and, th- and a lot of the dungeons take place in underground dwarven ruins and cave networks. Yep. And in one of said dungeons, they encounter a dragon turtle... And the bard then hit it with polymorph, <laughs> turned into a regular turtle, and they decided to get rid of said dragon turtle by then walking to one of the long tunnels that are about t- 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, mm-hmm. yeeted the turtle down as far as they could, and then yeeted. shut down po- polymorph. A, a dragon turtle is 25 by 25 in area. <laughs> okay. So basically the area was significantly smaller yeah. than the dragon turtle. Yeah. So you had to decide, okay, what the hell happens in this situation? Because there's literally no rules about it. I mean, the closest I could think of was like ruins for like uh, Shrinker and Large or the Rune Knight's uh, giant ability. Uh-huh. Right. Which does specify if you can't become, if the area is too small, you just don't get bigger. Okay, but, so does that mean, okay, there's something there at least. Right, but that doesn't quite apply to this, though, because it's like, but the thing's returning back to its regular form, which is way too big for this area. So, I mean, if it was a house or something, I would say, okay, walls are yay thick, so I would say, yeah, it wrecks the house, but takes game out damage. But since we're talking, like, pure rock in all directions. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you're literally in, like, a cave so system. <laughs> what, so, okay, before you give our fin- your final ruling, what would you have done in this situation, Austin? I don't know. I that's what, which is why I was glad, I was glad to have at the end of the session because of that reaction right there. <laughs> I probably would have just. I mean, was this meant to be like some big boss monster or something? A or? huge mini boss, yes. Okay, because dragon turtles are not <laughs> weak, right? right I, I right. probably would have just killed it off. I, I just would have been like, you know what? It's it was smart enough. It failed the check. Whatever, like, okay. well, I'll move on from it. You guys, you died. Right. You guys did good. Sure. Carry on. <laughs> yep. All right. So, um, here's my thoughts on that and my thing. So, for me, I understand that this is a very tough decision because a, yeah. there's no rules. Um, yeah, there's literally nothing. But I also yeah. think that uh, a drag because it's a dragon turtle. Um, it specifically had. I would say its shell is almost rock hard. So I could see it expanding to its full size and cracking and breaking all of the. The wherever the area is and getting it lodged and stuck, but I don't know if I would go as far to let it die. Um, maybe make it a successful encounter. They they beat it right. It's going to be stuck there for a while. Right. Um, but maybe they delayed delayed it because the risk is you run you run uh, the risk of setting a precedent. Right. Yeah, that's true. And you so do. now, oh oh, we let's just polymorph this other dragon into a turtle and throw it into a well, because now you've got to deal with the, the results of that. So what what decision did you end up making? And keep in mind, in a situation like this, there really is no wrong decision. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just ruled saying, it's dead. That tells out plug full of dragon turtle bits. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> <laughs> dragon turtle's gonna, uh, stew's gonna be the most common meal in the area for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, just, it's like, I couldn't think of anything better to do, because like, yeah, and, I... And and you're right. I was worried about the, the precedent thing too, because yeah. like on one hand, it was a very smart maneuver, no matter how you look at it. And yep. And so <laughs> I think that in that situation, I think that that is a perfectly fine ruling. Yeah. I think um, what you, you could also argue because it's literally like the hole is is half its size, right? Like it's literally it, like yeah. <laughs> like imagine if like a human, you know, was put into a room. That's only half its size in all areas, and you tried to like, you know, push them in, like say, "All right, time to go back to normal," and then you just, you know, you have to suddenly expand to that. I don't think humans would realistically survive, but 
uh, <laughs> without being a poor mangled mess. So but I don't know. We gotta, so I want to give my thoughts before we do have a question in uh, chat that I want to kind of regard. So the question is, is does it make sense? I would say both scenarios make sense. Yeah. But you, once again, you got to be quite careful of that president. So in my yeah. case, I say, okay, it makes sense that this is going to be an, uh, an encounter ending move that they just did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I would say it probably got stuck. Um, and couldn't get out, and it's angry. I mean, I don't know. What are the intelligences of those things? They're pretty low, aren't they? Or are they smart? No, they're smart. Okay. I have to double check what So it I is. can see yeah. that now that in this situation, it would be, okay, it's stuck. If it's if it's super smart, or if it's intelligent, it's going to be pissed off. Mm-hmm. And now every time they enter the water, this thing's going to be hunting them down. Um, but those are things that you kind of have to be able to plan out, and that's not always going to be the case. Yep, and 10. In 10. So they're pretty okay. common or stat block, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, Steve Honadel says, I'm just wondering how making a rulings differs between online and in-person games. It seems to me that there's less rules learning slash arguing with rules online versus in-person. I haven't noticed that. I have, I have not either. My comment was, I feel like I... S- For me, anyway, online versus on- offline hasn't really made much of a difference. What... To me, anyway, it has made more of a difference, though, is playing on a map versus theater of the mind, yes. which doesn't yes. always come up, but I do feel like that does make an impact here and there. Oh, and especially when you're trying to be very specific with your rulings and your details, because yeah. I know um, uh, the players like to optimize their moves. I want to Thunder Blast just these three things, and honestly, for tabletop, that makes a huge difference, because yeah. for me, I yep. end up taking, if they come up with a good strategy, I give them the average plus one, so there's benefits, but... Very rarely, and especially in small areas, are they going to be able to get the full benefit. So, But that definitely is probably the most time an issue yeah. like that's going to come up. Like, for for me, like, the biggest example I can think of is, like, let's say, like, somebody, like, casts, like, a kind of cold or fireball. Mm-hmm. And, like... Fireball hits everybody. Right. Well, because on a no, map, no. there's just no question about that. Yes. Whereas the theater of the mind, the deal's like, okay, you hit yay amount of people. And I've lost how many times I'm at... What do you mean I'm only hitting that many guys? Should have hit them the, all? Way, the way you described it, it should have been. Right. And so they're definitely that's definitely where I would agree that some of the rulings come in place. But that's the risk yeah. when you are running between theater of the mind versus tabletop. Um, right. Anyway, so other than that, I haven't seen much of a difference in rule, rules lawyering. Me neither. Um, personally. so Even I, from like our group, because we've definitely done both where mm-hmm. one was, you know. Honestly, that might just be the online is less because they're paying only half attention because they got a, their Facebook screen open. <laughs> All right. So what is the, the second rule, Austin? Is it fair? Yep. Well, can we define what fair is? Um, You probably could, such as like, you know, is it equal benefit for everybody or all parties involved you could even say that like this wa- so for instance uh with the uh dragon turtle uh you would have made it seem a lot more fair for both the players and the dm yeah. because yeah. now you have something to leverage because now you didn't insta kill this thing right mm-hmm. but now uh the dm has a little bit of leeway to say well this thing still survived and it's it's going to remember you at some point right right so i could see that being like the fair yeah like option so for me the idea of fair is somebody wants to do something it's not in the rules it's very cool but it could be broken if i let it get out of hand so for me i'm always on board of letting something happen once when somebody comes up with a really cool idea but i always preface it with Okay, that's really cool. That's not normally how it works, mm-hmm. but I yep. think it's fair that I want to reward that creative thinking. So I'm going to allow you to do it, but in the future, that's not going yep. to work. Yep. Because in my opinion, it's fair to say they came up with this really cool creative yep. idea, and then just to say no, you can't do that. Um, well, right. no. Is it? And it, we're going to get into more of these questions. Yeah. But what to me makes it fair is that the player is happy. It. And it doesn't, I don't got to worry about it breaking my game later. And it makes right. sense that the character would be able to do that, which goes back to the first question, uh, which is, does it make sense? So those kind of tie mm-hmm. together to me. Like, I personally don't take that approach, which is okay. Is it fair? No, no for, for, from from the, allow it just the one time. Ah, okay, okay. I gotcha. be- because to me, in my mind, when I'm a DM, I'm like, okay, if I allow it once, I feel like I have to allow it every single time. And I and I can't see the argument both ways on yes, this one. To sure, be fair, sure. mm-hmm. yeah. and the other thing too is something I have to always 
I, I may not always say, say it every single time, but I think it's kind of like this unspoken agreement of if I allow it for the players, that means the NPCs can do that too. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's one reason why I'm very careful about letting rules become continuous, yeah. right? So um, does anybody have a good example of where something wasn't fair or was fair that happened to you? No, it's like I can. I have to think. That's okay, why. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, one, like I know, it's like I know what's happened. I want to <laughs> I say. Uh, uh, I want to talk about something. I think I've probably talked about it on the show before. I'm not. I have no doubts. I know what I consider a ruling is <laughs> not fair. So I was playing a sorcerer, and I was at a table, and we found this house. We were doing uh, what is it? Uh, the Strahd. This uh, Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd. That was not the example I thought you were going to use. And I ran in, <laughs> and I was playing a loose cannon uh, sorcerer. So nobody would answer the door, so I put shot a firebolt through the window, and a hag came out, and we're like level three, and then another hag came out. We're still level three, and so my character's mm-hmm. like, "Well, this was a terrible idea. I'm gonna run away." DM didn't let me run away, at all. Wouldn't let me leave. I was like, well, "How is that not an option? They didn't cast a spell to stop me there. Your character wouldn't run away." I was like, "No, I'd grab the chick we're escorting and run." So like, what about your allies? Not my problem. And that was that was the personality trait and the flaw that my character had is he's all only cares about saving his own skin. Right. And he wouldn't let me run. That to me is an unfair ruling because there's no logical there's reason. There's already a precedent set that yeah. says you need to you need to run. I can yeah, well and, and and that's always an option. There was nothing mechanically stopping me from running. Yeah. That to me is a uh, an unfair ruling. He wanted to go that way, that's fine, but I consider yeah. that an unfair ruling. I'm surprised you didn't go with the, uh, you can't do that because that's your alignment. Yes, example. That, well, I knew that's where, what you were gonna, uh, you were thinking about, but I know I've talked about that one. But this is one where I really thought it was truly just unfair for the, the ruling was, there's, there was no good reason for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no reason. Now, why can't I run away? You can't. The fuck kind of a reason is that? Yeah, that's uh, it's a little weird. <laughs> or, or, one I thought, too, now... I will have to preface up front that this was a charity game at DragonCon. Okay. And, and I forget who was running this. I think, I think it might have been – I forget who it was. But they – but because it was a charity game, part of it too was you could pay money to basically roll again. Oh, nice. Like, like a dollar for it. Mm-hmm. For like a, a plot point, if you will. But they made some of the checks so absurd <laughs> here yeah. and there where it's like, okay, I guess it's a charity game, but – yeah. And there's like a few points too where some of the stuff like they want us to roll like okay you need to roll and that's like let's check of of yeah you must you make this jump and I'm saying going but that's a ten foot jump yeah you shouldn't have to make a check for that I shouldn't have, raw I don't have to roll to do that I, I make it Wait, did they do that just to raise more money I'm I'm sh- say, that sounds like a real sleazy yeah. kind of thing what? to do, but... <laughs> that, 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 that's the assumption that I'm operating under, yeah, but there was right. definitely a few points where I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> For yeah. sure. Alright, so those are some pretty good examples. So what is uh, the, the next question is, how much does it really matter? This is my favorite question to ask myself, because you know what I learned 99% of the time? The answer is, no. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter, who cares if they do it? That is one of the the most basic, yeah. basic things. If a person says, I want to use uh, a, a good example, minor illusion. Minor illusion doesn't actually, when it creates an image, the image is static. It doesn't move. Right. It doesn't create light. It doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I had a player say, I want to cast, uh, uh, use minor illusion to create a little fire to look like the bush is on fire. Spell doesn't work that way. It makes a static fire image. That's it. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, I said, does it really matter if it moves a little bit? You know what I decided? No, it didn't. So he used Minor Illusion to draw the attention of some guards so that they could go the other way. Do you, you think that that mattered? Not really. I mean, like, it's... You could... Because, like... Uh, you could even say, like, it wasn't even, like uh, like, a fire. You could say, like... You could create a silhouette of a person, and that would attract the same amount of attention as like a yeah. burning bush. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could say, "I create a a static image of a person standing there." Yeah, and they'll run straight at it because that they think that might be you trying to hide or something. Yeah. like there's, I don't know. 
It doesn't make much it doesn't, of a difference. Yeah, it, yeah, I agree. You've ever been in a situation where a ruling was made and you're like, ah, that doesn't really matter what I go with. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to get on the spot ruling just to keep things moving. Yeah, and that sometimes that's what it's about, too. Um, yeah, it, sometimes it really is just about keeping the flow. Yeah, because like, like you just want to keep the action going. You don't want to break what's happening. Another real good example, and I've seen something like this done numerous times. You've got a player who decides they are at the the second balcony of the masquerade, and they want to jump off the thing, uh, off the banister, grab onto the the chandelier, swing, flip in the air, twist, and land behind the guy and stab him. Now you could argue that requires a lot of different checks. I just required one. Acrobatics. Acrobatics? Yeah, I was going to say, that just sounds like, like one long acrobatics yeah, check to and, me. <laughs> and, yeah. and I thought about it because I have been in the other situation where I had to do uh, a jump check, right? Make sure I can reach it. Then once I reached it, I had to do a save to see if I could grab it. Then when I was on, I had to do another check to drop down and land on the guy, and then a save to make sure I don't go prone. I've had to do that before. <laughs> and honestly, to me, it doesn't matter in that situation. Yeah. Who cares? The player wants to do something cool. F and let them do it. It's not going to affect the game in any way, shape, no. or form. Because all that person did is move from one area to another and then stab. Like, mm-hmm. Kevin, in the summer vein, I remember reading the, the webcomic DM of the Rings, which are basically, like, they basically just made a comic of taking still images from Lord of the Rings movies, okay. but okay. turned into a D&D game. Huh. And there was one point where, like, the character was, the player was playing Legolas was going, hey, so we're referring to the elephant. What if I, and they, they, he just described the scene of, like, Legolas taking down that elephant. The, the elephant that shows like uh, what was going on in the background of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he like described it very thoroughly, and then the DM then said, "You still do the same amount of damage. You're just now rolling acrobatics checks for some reason." <laughs> 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 so, but it I, looks cool. So, so that actually brings an, up another uh, another uh, another point. So. We could tie this back into the previous question. Oh, we previous could, yeah. So, um, if the person wants to do that, doesn't make sense. Hell yeah, he's a rogue. He can flip. He can parkour off shit. It makes sense he can do that. Oh yeah, he's and, trained. And is it stuff. fair that I'm going to? He's going to have to do all these rolls for the same amount of damage? No. Or should there be some sort of reward for him engaging in that? I see that that's the fun part because that means the DM can be like, oh, but I can do some real fun stuff because you did some real fun stuff. So that means I can bend my own rules right. a little bit for this so, particular situation. Um, because of situations like this, I came up with my own rule. I take the falling damage if you're going to land atop yep. somebody, and I add yep. that to the roll. That's um, a good one because I am leveraging existing mechanics. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that not only is fair because now I'm rewarding the player for this really cool thing because what if they fail there's gonna be oh there's gonna be a consequence yeah so you want to okay now they got a succeed attack roll and an acrobatics you kind of want to give them a little extra um which kind of leads into the next question does what the ruling you're trying to make change the story in campaign in any way shape or form how often has that been the case for you guys not not very often i mean zorax has done some pretty horrible things that yeah. radically changed stories but yeah but i allowed that and like, yeah we were and we talked about, about it previously yeah. yeah so that's not that even like, like an, an on the fly, fly decision yeah, yeah so that no, was, that was a little playing. more like uh you hey. gave us a plot point and we were like okay so what can i do with this son of a bitch yeah like <laughs> how far can i take this thing um so that's so a little bit of an exception there this i think is the biggest one when you're making a ruling decision if yeah a play yeah. especially when magic is in, involved Yes. Because people, especially as you get higher in levels, people want to do more and more with the spells that they have. Yeah. And especially when you play like um, things that alter uh, the, the world. So what, like a good example is one of my friends, we were doing the Storm King's Thunder uh, adventure and they were underwater. And so <laughs> she cut out a chunk. She used like stone melding or stone whatever. Stone to, shape. Stone shape stone to shape, create yeah. a like... A canoe. A canoe. Yeah. And then use shape water to create a submarine bubble thing around it that so that was... they could go searching for this gem. That, that was, was awesome. really smart. Now, is any <laughs> of that awesome. in the rules? Probably not. Not really. Not to that degree of description. And technically, yeah. the walls are made out of coral. So now I had to deal with, well, is coral really a type of stone? I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to roll with it. Because guess what? In the grand scheme of the story... 
it's not going to change nothing. It's just going to make them get to the gem that in a different needed. way than yeah. they, the book says they have to. And it made, I mean, they got there. That's all that matters. And how rewarded do you think that player felt? Also, can you imagine the story that came with it? Yeah. In an underwater coral canoe, bending water around us, fighting a kraken. Like, it was the craziest shit. Yeah, it was just uh, their picture. It was just their click my warlock too. Yeah, it was so wow, what a time. And that was crazy. That, and so that's that's the the fourth big question is Which actually also goes into what, our next last one. question, which yeah. is does it add fun to the group? That moment absolutely yes. did. Are you kidding me? We all kind of looked at it like that sounds badass. There were so many I I could feel everyone's eyes on me like what is he going to do? Like <laughs> that all sounds really cool and would be such a shit show if I said no. Um, so that was where these sorts of questions kind of come mm-hmm. into my mind as I'm deciding whether I'm going to allow this. Yeah. Now, obviously I did. And guess what? It didn't break my game. It just redirected it. <laughs> yeah. it. I went off the rails a little bit, but we got back on. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember like that mental image of like some giant just sitting there in like their underground submarine port, if you will. <laughs> Only for all the blue, like, there's like a Coral canoe just erupted from the water with these tentacles like reaching after it with my boy going, Woohoo! Carrying a giant pearl. <laughs> We're free! We're free! Um, I like what Steve says, which is the rule of cool. Yep. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's. That's what it is. That, that's basically what it is. And that's kind of. All these questions are meant to decide. Because there's a lot of people that will get angry if they try to do something and they're constantly being shut down. Yeah, and, and in the ones that don't get angry start to just decide not to even pose ideas. Yeah, they don't even Pardons. bother to engage with the group. <laughs> and to me, that's the worst because I understand that sometimes we have to say no. Uh, there, there, sometimes there there's some moments. bad shit, crazy yeah. stuff that's just like, yeah. no, that's not going to work. But you can always, as a DM, I'd recommend following it up with, here's what you could do. Yeah, and do you at still least offer an op- like an alternative. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, I can think of a really, really good uh, example. Oh, geez. And I think uh, even uh, Interparty Conflict, Gabe has talked about what happens when you throw a portable hole into a lake. Does it oh, yeah, drain it all? Depends. It has a limited amount of space. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to suck it all in indefinitely. It'll probably lower it a little bit. For but sure. it does have a limited amount of space. It doesn't, it gets full and then it stops. So then you just got an interdimensional right. pool, I guess. A portable pool. You have the elemental plane of water, but inside a small hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so in that situation, when a player says, I want to throw my bag of holding and drain the entire lake. No. Yeah, that's not how that works. There's a weight limit on that. There is. And water yeah. has weight. So that would be an example of say. You can throw it in there, it'll absorb this amount of water, but it's not going to drain the entire lake. Right. Um, a rain puddle, maybe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or a but, small pond. I was going to say, a small pond could probably do it. Yeah. I mean, a bag of holding can contain quite a bit. No, you cast a gate spell in the bottom of a lake into another dimension. That, that we might would, be in that, that. That's a little bit work, different. That's different. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. have a capacity limit until it closes, I even, right? I don't even know what, like, I know it's big. <laughs> so the bag of holding can only hold 500 pounds. Yeah. Water like, would, yeah. that's like, it says it's 64 cubic feet uh, in size. That is not that big compared to like a lake. So no. sometimes no, we do close. have to say no. And players generally will understand that if you can follow it up with what? An alternative. Or a reason. Both. <laughs> or a reason. Yeah, like, or hey, a reason. Yeah. Like, it doesn't like, work because of this. Just yeah. saying no is like the worst thing you can do. So. When you're, Explain why you're saying no. Yes. That's a big thing. That goes so far. Yeah. And it makes you look like less of a dick. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely <laughs> can honesty. think of a few rulings here where I was like, really, dude? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's... and so, and that's that's one they probably didn't explain why, did right? Or they explained why after the game. Which then you're like, oh, makes sense. I wouldn't been all humbly grown all curmudgingly the whole yeah, game like, you why just wait? said something why wait till afterwards like that makes no sense like just okay. get it out of the way now yeah. like, or in my case like, if oh. I don't know the ruling and I don't want to deal with it I'll say hey let's go ahead we'll do it this way now I'm going to write it down and I'll look it up later 
I've that's got, a really good that's way, a good to, do way to do it too. Well, because then I can come back and say, okay, I allowed you to do this, but for this these three reasons, you can't do that. Right. It doesn't work in Dungeons & Dragons that way. So moving forward, just so you know, because you want to keep everyone informed, because right. everyone can learn and yeah. expand their skills together. Uh, or this one ruling I'm thinking of in particular was, and this is not a rules example, mind you, I was playing a game of Shadowrun, and the way the game unfolded was, the GM was like, okay, it's this day of the week, and it's this time of day, where's your character? And I answered, well, that time of day, and the time of the week, my character is at, is probably at home, at, at, shit. at this location. And the GM's like, are you sure? I'm like, why wouldn't I be? <laughs> because that seemed to be the logical answer, and this was a group that is like hardcore in the role-playing. Right. right. And uh, then he's like, okay, here's the situation that's happening at this location, and you're home since it's two hours away. You're not particip- participating in combat. <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> I. Yeah. What does that add to the game? No. For me, it added nothing. Well, obviously, <laughs> but like. So, I would have so, just. So, like, I just sat there for four hours doing nothing. I'm, I'm like, this is not fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> we can do better. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> we can do yeah. better people. let me just as a dm because of your uninformed decision that i gave you because i didn't decide to inform you at all mind you i gave you no information to right. tell you anything of what's going on you can't play the game today god that sucks i would have left i would have left 40 minutes yeah and, and the D- and the gm even said at the end when the gm gives you a hint you take it what hint? Just be. Are straight. you sure? Yeah. Just That's the say, hint. Hey, if you're stuck at home, you're not going to be in the game. Oh my god! Is, is your yeah. character here? That's, yeah. That, I, that, That's GM infuriating. That, as, as like. Oh my god. As like. That's my reaction. Like, okay, that's the ruling you made, and then you turned around and said it was your fault, by the way, which is what a dick. Yeah, I would have just. I been hope like, you kicked him in his dice for that. No, no time left that group. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> All right. So, um, that contributed to so, the so, As a recap, <laughs> if you want to improve your, your D&D rulings, you want to ask yourself these five questions. Does it make sense? Is it fair? How much does it really matter? Does it radically change the story or the campaign? And most important of all, is it fun for the group? And as you can see, with the last example, that was not fun for me at all. Therefore, I call it bad ruling. No, yeah. It, it, no, yeah, that, yeah. That sucks. I've been I, people you guys some of you suck yeah <laughs> some of you humans out there assholes uh, all of you okay. all right and, and you know what some of these questions too i kind of feel like i have to mention this on some level like only because i watched a video about this topic the other day and one channel i followed did talk about 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 uh metagaming which is a topic we've touched on in the past yep. and one question i did brought up as a counter example okay but some of the examples you get you gave is some forms of metagaming where I don't believe a lot of people realize how many things fall into metagaming. Right. And I believe, mm-hmm. like, the, and I do believe that sometimes the question has to be asked how much harm is this actually causing to the game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Looking at monster stat blocks and leveraging that, that's very bad. Knowing your hit points, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, an element wow. with a whole Dragon Trail scenario, I actually had to tell my brother, uh, don't look at monster stat blocks. That's considered extremely rude. Oh, they did that in advance? My, well, my brother did. Mm-hmm. What, well, he looked it up as we were fighting it. But to be fair, to be fair, he he's is a newer new, player. New? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, yeah, you don't do that. All right. With that, <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit how about a word from our sponsor? Hey, D&D players. Do you love D&D? How about an actual play with phenomenal stories and daring characters and a great story? How about a D&D 5e story that launches you into a sci-fi world where the players discover lost astronauts, disappearing spaceships, battle robotic beastmasters, delve into lost planetary ruins? Well, then you need to check out the Homebrew Podcast. This fantastic D&D actual play takes your D&D experience into space. Join these characters through their trials and tribulations, as well as their hilarious shenanigans. Be with them when they pick up their first spaceship at Old Honest Jim's used spaceship emporium clearance yard. You should head on over and check out the Homebrew Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find your podcasts. So... We sponsor ourselves, that's right. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Whitaker's Well of Magical Items is available in softcover and PDF. 
It's an easy D100 tables to randomly generate magic items for 5th edition of the world's greatest role-playing game. I'm super excited for this. I had a blast doing it. I'm a huge fan of the dungeon crawl roguelite games where loot is dropping everywhere. So mm-hmm. being able to do something like this and just roll up an item randomly is super fun. And because I can pick the rarity, you can decide how often you roll and how powerful the item is. The more powerful, the more you roll. Um, and it's yep. very cool. Even common items, things that just change the weapon's element to like fire or lightning without actually increasing its damage, which is fun. Woo-hoo! So lots of stuff to check out. Please consider checking that out. Magic items are fun. Yes, definitely check that out. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept for our Unearth Tips and Trick today is Grayson Silvertongue Nash. The description... A man with a thick-toned arm and paunchy gut. He tends to wear heavy leather coupled with his rolled-up sleeve shirt or rolled-up shirt sleeves. This gives him a very calm, relaxed look. His black hair is cut short. He is missing an eye, and his face is severely scarred. With one remaining eye shines with amber. His personality: he he tr- uh, trusts no one. That's like every rogue ever. Uh, He is not readily capable of forgiveness, and his ire never leaves him. Ooh, man, that could be inconvenient. He is an (laughs) exceptional liar with equally exceptional compulsion to do so. Like, just lies for no reason. Uh, How was the meal, Dave? Uh, It wasn't good. I thought you said you liked it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... Known for his sharp tongue, temper, and sharper sword skills, Nash was one of the few pirate captains to build and maintain his ship from the remains of those he pilfered. (laughs) In his history, his piracy career was cut short by a strange mutiny, however, and he was abandoned to the magistrate who had been hunting him since he'd raided a ship carrying valuable artifacts. Can you imagine what his motivations are going to be? Revenge. <laughs> Since the mutiny against him, he has been meticulously hunting and killing the mutineers who betrayed him and stole his vessel. I'm always such a fan of revenge stories. <laughs> what do you guys think about this? I've said my piece. That's it? <laughs> I'm <laughs> hey a man, fan. <laughs> I love revenge stories, dude. I, they're so easy to just attach to and... Yeah. To just say, like, well, this is my motivation. What's your motivation? Uh, because I wish to have vengeance on the people who betray me. That's good motivation. That's good motivation to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to say that, like, every time. Oh, but I do funny. love the... I do love the the whole piracy thing. I think that's a really fun theme, especially for the roguish types. It's just easy to get into. Like, uh, this character, you can kind of just, like, plug and play almost anywhere. Oh, yeah. Play. I really like that. You what can, do you think? Oh, I was going to say, you can always just plug a pirate in any story because they're going to be somewhere because there's probably something valuable. And if there's any value anywhere, there's a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually transition there. What do you think, Ian? I love pirates. This is a pirate. Therefore, I like it. <laughs> I'm glad we're well, on the same man, page. A man, a few words. I like it. All right. <laughs> um, so, uh... With that, we'll move on to our monster variant. The uh, monster variant today is the Zarendur. The origin step like is the, the, the Otyug. That is how I'm pronouncing it, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I'm about it. <laughs> the lost features are the limited telepathy, the bite, and the tentacles. Its new feature is its strength scores go up to 20, and intelligence goes up to 10. It also gains titanic strength. Its movement is not, not reduced when grappling two or less creatures. My god. It also gains the ability for on result, so I guess it has, has four arms. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Basically, plus eight to hit, 2d8 plus five bludgeoning damage, and if the target is a creature, they must succeed on a strength saving throw or be knocked prone. Fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They also gain slam, similar attack modifiers, same damage modifier, and if the hit creature is medium or smaller, it's grappled. <laughs> and it's restrained until the grapple ends. And it has four arms, which we've barely established, and each one of them can grapple one target, so they can grapple up to four dudes. That's oh awesome. God. And if the Zarender <laughs> uses two or more of oh, arms to grapple a target, 
the target has disadvantage on the check you break free. That makes total sense. Yeah. No, yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, get your Goro on in this case. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, shh, I don't want to be sued. <laughs> <laughs> they also no body slam! The Zerender slams creatures grappled by it into each other on a, or onto a solid surface. And each creature must have saved, once again, a DC 15 con saving throw or take 2d6 plus 5 damage bludgeoning damage and be stunned until the end of the Zerinder's next turn. Oh my God. On a successful save, the target takes half the bludgeoning, but is not stunned. I got that a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. And Staggering Rock. You chuck a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keeps it pretty simple, right? Yeah. Yep. I like it. Range. Short range. 600. Long range. 240. And if you're hit, you take 3d10 plus 5 bludgeoning damage, and the speed becomes zero until the end of the... Z- of the Zerinder's next turn. Wait, is it until the creature's next turn, or, is, or the Zerinder's next turn? Uh, until, uh, till the end of their next turn, so okay, when they so, hit the target. So the creature's next turn. Yes. There we go. Alright, and he's got one more power. Yes, it has a reaction. When a creature successfully breaks the Zerinder's grapple, it can use its reaction to attempt to grapple the creature again. You're not getting away from this sucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a very fun character to design, um... Uh, Goro was certainly the inspiration for it, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, okay. That new Mortal Kombat came out, and I wrote yeah. that I wanted to build something similar to Goro. Obviously, I can't call it Goro. No, yeah. <laughs> Though I did call it, like, Goron or something, and then I ended up, uh, fi- uh, you know, when you type that in, then a bunch of Legend of Zelda crap comes up. Yeah. So then I ended up uh, going into a different language and typing, like, forearms or something. Mm-hmm. That's pretty and good. That's where the Zinrunder comes from. And this is a really fun... This is definitely something your players won't expect, to have one giant person just choking them all. Like, that's hilarious to me. And... Uh, I just... I love the idea of just... I mean, I play a lot of characters that like to be in the front and just, like, grapple and, and just... Uh, just grind it out with yeah. the the big bad evil guy, which is just me punching him and him punching me, and we're just going till the last one standing. Like, <laughs> yeah. and this is the embodiment of whatever that fight would be for me, and I'm all about it. So, this could create some real memorable, like your your barbarians running in the front. And he's like, "Don't worry, guys. He may have four arms, but I have two really big arms." And then they just start hitting each other. <laughs> like, it'd be fun. I don't know. I could see I some real fun it. stuff about it. it. Fantastic. <laughs> Anything else on this? No. It's He's just designed to choke and smash bitches. That's yeah, it. and that's great. I love it. I love simple <laughs> designs like that every once in a while. All right. With that, we will move on to our... What in- is this? The encounter of the podcast. That's the one. <laughs> that um, thing. Wandering Travelers. The characters encounter a draft horse pulling a battered old wagon. Accompanying the wagon are 1d6 minus 1 people, which means there could be nobody. Uh, Use the commoner stat block unless otherwise noted below. Uh, If the die results that no commoners are present, that means the drivers are either missing or dead, leaving the horse and wagon unattended. If one or more people are present, assume they are guiding the wagon towards the nearest settlement. The encounter might be one of the following. We have a list here, so stand by with me, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, first option is friendly furriers uh, transporting 3d6 bundles of animal pelts worth 100 uh, gold pieces per bundle. Nice. That's pretty easy. Pretty nice. That loots. Yeah. Uh, evil characters are going to have a blast. Uh, friendly peddlers transporting 4d6 10 gallon kegs of fine bourbon toe ale worth 8 gold pieces each see what I did there? I do like that it never leaves I love it friendly minstrels looking for the next town tavern inn or tap room to perform hostile bandit berserkers posing as friendly traders transporting a stolen wagon laden with foodstuffs for their camp Uh, a family fleeing their homestead in the wake of a monstrous creatures a hive of ankegs perhaps uh, attacking and setting up a nest in their village the wagon contains their food and their mundane belongings you add that no a friendly merchant transporting 2d6 pigs worth five gold pieces each any other persons present are adventurers hired to ward off bandits and other threats (laughs) evil characters beware (laughs) Uh, hostile mercenary veterans transporting 1d6 crates containing weapons and armor to their allies in a nearby settlement and that's the encounter so basically yeah you can springboard off this in so many ways exactly this is your your beginning of your plot hook this is your uh you're on the road traveling and you somehow manage across a random you know 
on Random Wagon. You could, and I like the idea that there's the possibility of nobody. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a wagon being it's pulled by a horse by itself. And everyone's kind of like, that's a little <laughs> like, um, bizarre. Anybody else notice that horse has nobody attending to it? And there's guys, blood smears all yeah, across the hey side Hey guys, shouldn't we investigate? As the evil character goes, I don't see any benefit to investigating. There's I'm moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> There's Bastards. no benefits for me there, <laughs> except for maybe the horse. I could sell the horse. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. You got anything, Ian? I kind of read re- all the friendly stuff, and like I k- keep thinking of players who keep saying they're good, but they keep doing really evil things. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yes. That happens a lot. Or you, you can say you're good. good, but your actions speak louder than the word in your character. Yeah, yeah by that point, I actually <laughs> will tell people, like, hey, um, change your alignment to evil because you're not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you might say you are, you're you're not. That's what makes you a perfect evil character. Or, I remember, okay, I, <laughs> once again, using my brother as an example, for one, for one of the side quests, if you will, they basically came across a... Uh, a ruin which was ransacked and the orc chief who was buried there came back as a revenant saying my grave was sacked <laughs> i want my stuff back oh my goodness and i kept on trying to make it very clear he knew where his stuff was because he could sense it, he can sense it. I like that. and my brother kept on like trying to keep some of the stuff including like, the magic item <laughs> and i kept and i kept he on, knows you got it dude <laughs> right i kept on, on, on saying Remember, he knows where this stuff is. Remember, he's our revenant. <laughs> he's gonna follow you indefinitely because they don't die, do they? They do not die. No, they just keep on going until their grudge is fulfilled. Nice. All right. So, so my brother, like, okay, fine, I'll put it back. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to point out about the wandering travelers encounter that we just discussed. Um, not every encounter that the players run into has to be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is really, uh, really important here because every time as Dungeon Masters we build <laughs> encounters, it's almost always something that's hostile. And that's not always the case, but that's the way it feels sometimes. Yeah. So having a, a, a an encounter list like this you can roll on that includes friendly furs who are just, they're just been, they're trying to make a living. Yeah. And, you know, and the peddlers that are trying to sell some bourbon toe, you know. Yep. You can have encounters that are interesting that give you an opportunity to roleplay and expand your world, especially if you include unique characters in those those, uh, transporting, because it really brings the world to life. Um, Do we have a... I think we had a really good question. uh, So, uh, we got a question from Troy, of course. (laughs) It says, do you have a rules lawyer in the group who can probably spit out the relevant mechanics on the spot? Um... It depends. It depends. Ian's pretty good about it. I know Troy is quite the rules lawyer. And when you have that that character with you or that player with you, it's okay to lean on them for rulings. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, this is that a, is yeah. certainly certainly a a a tool um, to use. But um, the bigger focus, I think, we were trying to touch on is the fact that there's a lot of stuff the rules don't cover. Oh yeah. Um, but if you do have a rules lawyer, rules lawyers aren't bad. I know it has a negative connotation hey. with it. I'm just gonna say, like, um, this is a team game. This isn't DM versus players. Team game, t- t- group effort. Yeah, there yeah. are some people that think that way, though. Yeah, uh, those people games. are wrong and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the whole group has agreed that that's the way it's gonna be. Uh, yes, but that. Um, but that's different. So, anyways, yeah. yeah so I think that right, you're, if you've got somebody that knows those rules, and I like, I'm a good example of that. I know a lot of rules, but I forget just as many as I know. And there's sometimes where I'll turn and ask somebody, usually Ian or Troy, if he's at my table, hey, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? And I always say, what do you think about that? Because sometimes I don't always go with what the book says. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't remember what the book says. It'll take too long to look it up and still not done That's again. also a thing, too. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, with that, we will move on to our in magic, magic item. item of the podcast. Um, now I'm going to be honest, this is a really long magic item, so I'm not going to read it verbatim. We're just going to break it down what it does. Sure. Um, so this is the Tomb of Material Perfection. It is a wondrous rare item submitted from listener Black Magus. 
a treatise on material component preparation and improvement by Master Wizard Robert Cross. This work is most interesting to those into the science of how material components interact with spells and how to get more out of the items surrounding each spell. Now, this is an interesting tomb, much like the other books in the, the DMG, that allows the character to progress... Um, in a way that it alters the way some of the spells work. Anybody that's been watching the show knows that I've recently been adding magic items that are material components mm-hmm. that enhance spells. Um, either increasing their range when you combine that material component, increasing their damage, their duration, all that sort of stuff. Because that, to me, that is an interesting way to include material components and reward the 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 nature searching and in, in, in the gathering and the herbalism and all that stuff into a a way the the players can benefit it by combining it with their spells. Um, like I think one of the monsters we just did. Um, enhance the dispel magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was the name of that? The mana, the mana drinker. What was it? The mana. Something like that. Anyways, whatever it was, the, yeah. the mana drinker. I think is what it was called. It, if you harvest, you could harvest one of its organs that basically allowed you to cast your next dispel magic with it mm-hmm. as a ninth level spell, which so is it, insane. It basically dispels almost everything instantly. Um, and so this book kind of follows that trend. Uh, in a, by giving you kind of some guidelines, so um, which is obviously tended towards wizards. So over the course of twelve hour study, you notice that's longer than a long uh, uh, an eight hour rest. I yes. don't know the intent behind that, but it's definitely different. It, it's meant to just. I think the idea is just to flavor that yeah. this is meant to take longer. This yeah. is uh, especially when the reader must know the following languages. Which is not something I see very often in yeah, any magic I item, actually. I, I totally shot right by that. <laughs> uh, you need to know common, draconic, and, and infernal, infernal to, which to is do this. Uh, quite interesting. And this is different from other magic items. So this one, uh, sure. let's give, we're only going to give one example because it has so many tiers. But yes. it says, a creature who is studying the material uh, must succeed on a DC-19 intelligence check during a long rest, which is different than the 12 hours it says above it. Yep. After yes. a successful study, the caster will be able to modify and improve material components enough to make a different arcane effect. So, And th- given the Clifto's version, one... One of the refinements basically increases the spell's duration. Okay. One of them can adjust the area that's affected. Okay. Like like size and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, another one, if I remember this correctly, in- increases how many times the thi- component can be used. Yes. So. Um, Interesting. So yeah, thank you for cliff noting that for me. Thank so basically, you. Yes. <laughs> um, the, this is a long magic item. You can find it at CritAcademy.com in our blog section for today's it episode. It is a show notes. few paragraphs. Um, but yeah. what it does, it allows them to successfully uh, apply these effects to enhance their spells, existing spells, which I just think is cool. The very last one you mentioned, which is actually the hardest one, it has the highest saves, basically says when you have a sp- uh, component that is consumed by the spell, you basically get to use it twice. Before the spell is consumed, or yeah. the, the component is consumed, and I thought that was just awesome. It's nice. Touch. Uh, I think uh, uh, Black Magus did a really obviously put a lot of work into this. Yeah, it's um, amazing. It's a lot of detail, so I, something to consider. It, it really kind of sets the bar a little bit higher for uh, to to really take the flavoring a magic item to give it obvious history and whatnot. Yes. Uh, I really like the idea that it requires a, more hours of study, that you need to know the following languages. You have to be practiced in some way, shape, or form. And this item is clearly dedicated to the science of the material components, so a character would have to be particularly and, interested in And, and that's this. what's interesting, because unlike some magic items, it isn't tied to wizard, even though it's clearly meant for a wizard. Exactly. So that means anybody else that takes interest in that can apply it. Of course, they're less likely to make the intelligence check because for everyone sure. dumps that. So let's skip. <laughs> so let's skip it. And then for say, for example, an artificer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so. I think that's uh, another part of the beauty of it. This is a, a really well crafted item, and yeah. I think everyone, including ourselves, should take notes on this. Yep. So thank you. I learn a lot <laughs> from other people. That was uh, awesome. With that, Ian, would you like to tell us about our dungeon master tip today? Our dungeon master tip is. Fantastic settlements. Not terrain. Settlements. settlements. <laughs> In the magical world of the D&D game, most settlements follow a set of patterns, but fantastic exceptions abound. Cities where magic or monsters play a significant role in government, defense, commerce, or organizations. 
You can use these variations to inject a fantastic flavor into the solvents of your character's visits. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote it. Oh. <laughs> Rather than a noble credit. lord who knows nothing, who's nothing more than a titled aristocrat, a town or city might be ruled by a wizard, perhaps a retired adventurer, whose uh, magical powers take a personal retinue of soldiers unnecessarily. Or what happens when a dragon decides to take over a city? Or a mind flayer secretly controls the Baron, steering the city towards its own mysterious purpose. What if the ruler is a lich or a vampire who installs undead in positions of power? <laughs> As those examples suggest, not every summit in the D&D world is a point of light in the darkness. Some are part of the dark darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. What do you guys think about this? This actually reminds, uh, is a really good... Because, like... Even though we just said not every encounter has to be, like, an evil encounter, this also is the flip side of the coin of not every city has to be a beacon of hope. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and this yeah. is really good because it okay. makes some good points. There may be a city that's fully protected under a, a lich, right? The oh, lich, yeah, for sure. It's its domain. The lich is evil. The lich is evil. Yeah. They're yeah. bad. But they're doing good to help mo push their bad agenda. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they might protect all these people from other monsters. Only so that they can use them for something else. So how would the adventurers be treated in a city where they want to kill the person who's protecting them all because they perceive them as evil? And he, they are doing evil acts, but are also doing some good. Like, that's that's where the fun part begins. Moral ambiguity! I love it! That's, that's, uh, <laughs> there's no right answer. Not every city is a beacon of hope. I love that. I keep picturing like this one town or village, castle, what have you, mm -hmm. just uh, minding some business, just doing this regular thing, up a blue, a dragon flies out of nowhere, lands on top of the tower and goes, I'm king. Who, um, who's going to argue with the dragon? It's like, <laughs> who made you king? Me. Um, <laughs> or like, the, that's when you see the lich come out from its tower and be like, get out of here. <laughs> and it zaps the dragon. See, and now like, that <laughs> is a cool encounter where the okay. players show up and there's a battle between a lich and a dragon for supremacy of that little village. I ain't getting in the middle of that. I'm going to die if I do. <laughs> but that's the kind of things that should be happening in your game. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yep. But we'll, we'll see what you hear. Most characters will look up during Django. Um, all hail Lord Redscales. Because <laughs> they're not going to argue. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Lord Redscales and Hollowed Skull. My two favorite lords of this kingdom. Guys, we need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Run! <laughs> we need to leave. All Stock right. up and go. And Matt's like, next thing you know, the, the lich turns the dragon into a dragon lich slave. Oh, oh my. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> that is awesome. That'd be so crazy. That's a self. Yeah, it really does. Now I'm thinking about one time where a. Dr during the playtest, when they... <laughs> this was not raw, mind you. But the was riding a Tyrannosaurus. And I'm like... And they're fighting undead. I'm like, I like now kill a Tyrannosaurus and turn into an undead T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that? Why not? No. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Alright, I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Fantastic settlements. Austin, now... would you like to tell us about our player tip of the podcast? Don't, Don't be, be a dick. dick! And you can avoid dickitude by listening to Austin. By building character. Do this. Uh, your choice of race for your player character establishes many of the fundamental traits that define your role-playing experience. Ooh. Specific values, perspectives, and motivations are associated with each race in the campaign setting. Although your selection of geographical raising or profession background informs your character's outlook, race is often a primary contributing factor, not only for you, but for the, re uh, for the <laughs> characters and the NPCs who perceive you. As a player, spend time learning a bit about your race's place in the world. Lean on those cultural and spiritual values to help flesh out your character. This is huge. Just because you're an Asimar doesn't mean everyone's, everyone's going to look at you like you're a real nice guy. You don't have to be a nice guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think people do forget that. Or like a lot the tea uh, are the big one, I guess. Yeah, a lot of the races do, in this game do have like a culture or a history to them. Mm -hmm. But players avoid that. So, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact of like they may not just not know about it. That or they're fans of uh, Dritzt. Dritzt is the exact opposite of what this is suggesting, right? Yes. He, you know, everyone uh, Drow are bound to Loth, and she's 
she's crazy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and so yeah, their culture the is lately. around that, right? Yeah. And Dritz kind of goes away from that. But it's okay to play a drow that worships Wolf and is psychopathic and crazy too. Um, and you can lead into that where, like, for and this is just my understanding, in the drow society, the matrons are top dogs. Yep. yep. Um, and men are just convenient tools for making more females. Pretty much. Um, and that's pretty much how it is. You can lean into that and utilize that to build your character. And I encourage you to because then it helps share the game's lore with the other players who don't know that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can turn it into more than just, I'm playing a drow to, I am a drow, I follow Wolf, and all you men are beneath me. <laughs> I'm now picturing all of us men are beneath the females of the group. Hello. <laughs> yep. I'm now picturing this uh, one webcast which shows like actual D&D experiences, and one of them was when, for the first time, the paladin cast Detect Evil, and it went off immediately. <laughs> and oh, it turned it just flared, like, right near... One of the characters? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, then, and he put out the wizard, like, what the? And it was like, you didn't know I was evil? <laughs> it, just happen- it just happens that our our goals align for the moment. Right? <laughs> Come to so. think of it, did Matt ever use Divine Sense and did it? At- Matt, did you never use Divine Sense and figure out that my character was evil the whole fucking time? I don't remember. Apparently not. I don't recall. Oh, no, because oh, no, I, oh, no, I don't think it detects alignment. It's, no. uh, it detects they if kind you're, of, like... They kind of walked away from that in 5th. Yeah, it's yeah, more I forgot really about tied that. to, like, devils if you're, Yeah, stuff, that's right. Want, so. Yeah, so never mind. See, he's judging you, and he don't even know the rules. I didn't know what I did. See, this is... So, let's go yeah, back. Yeah, Divine Sense was different. That yeah. was my bad. Give me a second to check Divine Sense. Yeah, because apparently neither of us knew. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Alright. Well, because uh, it's so easy to be like, oh, it's evil because it's all dark and involving because it's a devil? Question mark? Like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Well, see, that's the that's the thing about uh, things like Divine Sense, though. It targets something specific, but that thing doesn't necessarily have the alignment that's associated with it. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm all about that stuff, but sometimes yeah. devils are just devils and need to die. And sometimes... Yeah. And sometimes, just because somebody's evil does not mean they're a complete dick either. Right, right, right. Actually, I remember I saw like a uh, no uh, on like a lawful evil characters, which are which the comment referred to them as Palpatines. Yeah, Palpatines. Yeah. No, I can see that. And and Jacob goes, "Let's be real here. Yeah, they're evil, but they get things done." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, with that, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick! And you can avoid dickitude by building character. Your racist culture, tie it to your story. It really, it, dive into it. Don't be afraid to do that. Um, Alright, with that, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of our generous sponsor. Our fat look giveaway today is the Archive of Esoteric Secrets 2 by Jack Wayhill. Nice. nice. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. The Archive of the Esoteric Secrets is a compendium of 106 brand new spells for 5th edition. Wow. Made to fulfill mechanical niches in the game and or create exciting role-playing um, opportunities. So I had the privilege of going through this and... Sounds like a lot. If you're looking for spells that do damage only, you're not necessarily going to find a lot here. What instead this does is gives you so many utility spells to choose from, you will actually want to pick them. Um, because they, they're they very niche. And, and it talks about that. You know, they're very niche. and But because of that, you get to see do some stuff that you wouldn't ever think of. And it, it really does open up roleplay opportunities. So who's our winner today? Our winner today is Flesher Floors. <laughs> Did it win? No problem. Head over to CrackCarry.com and subscribe for your chance to win. <laughs> yeah, do that. Um, every week we give away fat loots. So all you got to do is uh, subscribe. Head on over to CrackCarry to do that. Do that. Follow us on social media. If you're following us on TikTok, please do that. Uh, YouTube. Our YouTube is growing crazy. In the last 28 days, we've gotten almost 400 new uh, subscribers. Wow. Um, so if you haven't been to our YouTube, please consider uh, following along at youtube.com slash C slash Crit Academy. Um, and if you like the show, consider leaving a review. You may not know it, but reviews on like iTunes platform um, gets caught in all the uh, podcatchers, please. Um, it goes a long way because your word, I can talk about how great we are all day long, but your guys' words 
are what really matter. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Nobody cares what I have to say about myself, except right. me when I'm talking to my mirror. Uh, with that, um, I would like to also do one more plug for Memorable Monsters. If you're looking for um, some a great monster manual where monsters have fully fleshed out backstories, motives, flaws, um, personality traits, please consider picking up Memorable Monsters at Crit Academy. You can get it in print on demand. Um, so please consider checking that out. It's currently got five stars. Um, they're so they, all very plug and play. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they make great. Not only, not only are they monsters for villains, but it gives you different ways to utilize them as, uh, merchants, as allies, as quest givers, as heroes for hire, all that stuff. So, yep. um, I know on my, the game I'm a part of the, uh, initiative and intrigue. I was super surprised to find that Alex Baum included, uh, Tannis, uh, the greedy ass <laughs> goblin awesome. uh, uh, merchant really in cool. it. So I was super excited to be a part of that. So consider checking out Memorable Monsters. With that, please join us on our next episode. We will be discussing how to craft a dastardly plot in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to say is this Friday, August 6th, we are launching our Ravnica campaign yeah. on oh, YouTube. Man. Come watch us. I promise you guys are going to love it. If you wanted to delve into Worlds Unknown, this is going to be the campaign to watch. Yeah. So. Like, all of our characters are, have no idea what this setting is. We came from the Forgotten Realm, so this is going to be a real real ride for everybody. Ah, you have no idea how accurate ride is. All right, with that, I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 